afternoon, you're on the paddle on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here, Heather Roy and David Cormack uh, with me today. And uh, look, just coming back to this really briefly, because people from Kai Tai to Bluff, you are all going into your cupboard and checking the sugar content of wheat bix. Uh And <laughs> Heather, I do have to say... I, I might have I, got it wrong, but it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of sugar that well, is contained in it. Well, and I, d- I think that over the years they've reduced that. I'm, I'm yeah. going back a few now. Yeah, because I, I do take your point about your, yeah. your, your, your baked beans and your juices. You might have been thinking about your cornies, but some people will say that the wheat bix isn't as uh, bad as you think. Oh, I think it's better You're than some of the You're going to get the Seventh Day Adventists on you. I might, but look, I think that breakfast cereals overall should be considered as a dessert, not anything else. What? Yep. Read read the sugar content on the labels, Wallace, of just about any dessert, any um, breakfast cereal. It's really hard to find something that you would consider to oh, be low in sugar. Got to come back to that tomorrow. Mm. Uh, breakfast cereals. Isn't it be. cool that a former ACT MP is basically advocating for a sugar tax, though? Haven't uh, we? Haven't we, had... we made a lot of progress? <laughs> no, there's nothing about a sugar tax in there. I'm I just saying. Well, it sounds it, Heather. Just yeah, it, sounds it Heather. needs to be. Much more transparent. Taxed. No, transparent. (laughs) That's tomorrow. Uh, That breakfast cereal should be labelled as a dessert, says former Act MP Heather Roy. Uh, (laughs) More regulation, says former Act MP. (laughs) Oh, you're all putting words in my mouth. Before we get to, we get coming to regulation very shortly in one minute, but before we get to that, uh, government's plan for land transport over the next decade released today, prioritising more than 20 billion of funding on 14 new roads and public transport links, fixing your potholes by raising the fuel tax by 12 cents a litre over the next three years. 14 key projects, but for our Wellington panel, here's two for you. Wellington CBD to airport, second Mount Victoria tunnel and upgrades to Basin Reserve, Eris tunnel and mass rapid transit, CBD to Island Bay. Quickly around the panel, your thoughts, David. Oh, look, I hate I hate adding a second Mount Vic tunnel. Big, big opponent of that because uh, theory of traffic inducement means you're just going to get more people driving in and create bottlenecks, worse bottlenecks elsewhere. Um, if they do the mass transit first, then that's good. Uh, so then that gets that gets fewer cars on the road and then those people who are really religiously committed to driving in will actually have an easier drive because there'll be less traffic. So uh, if we get the, the light rail and the and the bus done first, and I know that our mayor and our current council are actually working really hard on the whole shamozzle. Um, so, yeah, no, hate hate a second Mount Vic tunnel, but also hate anything south of the Basin Reserve, not even part of Wellington. Close it off, make them a separate part of Wellington. Don't want them. <laughs> Heather? <laughs> well, I agree with some of what David has just said there. I, I, I'm not as opposed as he is to a second Mount Vic tunnel. I think th- there was always the provision for a second um, terrace tunnel that was um, that, that. If you look back to the 1950s, plans were made there, and the the funding was diverted away from that project being done to Spaghetti Junction being developed by Hugh Watt in uh, in Auckland. But uh, so because what that's does where a his second tunnel was. achieve? Uh, well, the, if you travel that regularly, 
there there are bottlenecks there. But you, I absolutely agree with you. You need to know where the bottlenecks are. And look, uh, uh, Wellington actually has very good public transport. I use it quite often. My, I'm on a good bus route. When it um, shows up. And it, well, no, I'm on a good bus route, and it, it shows up all the time, to be honest. But um, I don't have uh, I don't have to go through a hub, so I'm fortunate okay. in that. But I think that we should be working harder at public transport. But where there are bad bottlenecks that hold the flow up, I think we should be Very looking good. at roading options. Uh, but all right. we do is move the bottleneck. That's the thing. Like we don't get rid of the bottleneck; we just transfer it from one place to the next. By so, if we create a second tunnel, then the bottleneck becomes, say, the Aris Tunnel, which Wallace mentioned, or the bottle becomes well, out the other side, part of that. or it but becomes the at the other side in Kilburnie. So all all it does, unless you're going to like quadruple lane everything, which I know is like a right wing is wet dream, you're just going to move <laughs> bottlenecks around and make them worse right. by encouraging more traffic. We Definitely not in favour of triple laning. to move on because I want to discuss this as well. Uh, the other big announcement is National promising to allow people to split their KiwiSaver between various providers, claiming that it will drive innovation and put downward pressure on fees. National's Commerce and Consumer Affairs spokesperson Andrew Bailey also wanted an end to intrusive questions by banks like, do you have Netflix, saying... Uh, Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act had been intended to restrict the likes of payday lenders, you know, including those mobile trucks, but instead it had stifled access to credit and led to borrowers being subject to intrusive questions. With us is Associate Professor Claire Matthews, a banking and KiwiSaver expert at Massey University. Kia ora, Claire. Kia ora, Wallace. Allowing New Zealanders to split their KiwiSaver to more than one provider. Any sense in this? Um, I, I just don't see the point. Uh, it's going to potentially advantage a minority of KiwiSaver members and incur a substantial cost. Um, and I just don't see the value in it. Putting your eggs in various baskets? Well, you already should be doing that, and you will be doing that through your KiwiSaver funds. Um, the managers aren't such a big deal. It's, it's the actual investments that are important. And if you've actually got enough to be worried about that, then it's likely that you could start to invest outside of KiwiSaver and then you can do what you like with your money. Heather. Yeah, I, I agree with some of what Claire's saying there. I, I do believe that um, increased competition and choice is a good thing. And I, I don't believe for a moment that there will be many who want to have uh, different funds. I mean, we we look at how many people just stick um, when they start with KiwiSaver with the um, the one of the six that that uh, are mandated by um, by inland revenue. But um, I I think that there is something in what Claire says that you can invest your money elsewhere. It doesn't have to be with KiwiSaver, and then you have a lot more flexibility about what you want. I think it does come back to actually driving financial literacy so that people have a really clear understanding of what they're investing in and options. And that's where a financial advisor is um, is invaluable. They they know the options. They can talk to you about your own situation and where it's best to invest yourself. Okay, stay there, Claire David. I mean, I kind of don't really have any views on it because much like Claire, I was kind of bemused by what's the point? 
you know like i just don't complicate something which is incredibly important and which people don't necessarily understand anyway and as heather said a financial advisor is probably the best place to to help you if you do want to diversify big fan of diversifying investments it's what i hear mm. finance nerds say i don't know what it means but apparently mm. it's a good thing but this seems like a like a weird unnecessary thing that could just potentially help out funds more than it helps out people okay then claire what about the cutting of the financial regulatory red tape you know someone say looking to start a business by extending their mortgage um, shouldn't have to tell the bank which brand of cat food they buy says nationals andrew bailey but recall this was put in place to restrict those of what people saw as predatory payday lenders Absolutely, that's what it was designed for, and it has been applied, interestingly, within the banking sector. I've remained unconvinced that it's actually the regulations that are the issue. It's the way it has been applied, Um, and I totally agree that it needs to be looked at, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should get rid of it altogether. I think fundamentally there is a need to ensure that people can actually afford the lending that they're being given. It's a matter of the detail to which the banks need to dig um, that needs to be looked at. Oh, very good. Thank you for that, uh, Claire Kyoto. Sorry, uh, didn't, didn't, though, didn't the banks and stuff say that since the government made the changes that the problems that National has cited have basically all but yeah, disappeared? That's, that, that's uh, correct. So I'm the chair of Financial Advice New Zealand, which is the Industry Association for Financial um, Advisors. And that there was a big hoopla at the start of the year when yeah. the initial changes came in. And look, the, the intrusiveness of some of the questioning around um, whether someone could afford Eating the mortgage or not. And all that yeah, jazz. Yeah. yeah, but some the the um, the regulations were modified, and that is no longer a problem. Clear? However, there are still some issues that need to be resolved. And so I think taking the that legislation back to where it was in 2021, as is being proposed, is a very good thing. I do have some issues with COFI which is the second piece of legislation right. talked about today, which is about conduct and culture um, of the of the sector. And I think that the, the principles in that piece of legislation are sound, just so a, I'm not sure what, what's being proposed Just a there. quick response from Claire Matthews mm-hmm. on that. On the Kofi thing, do you mean? Well, just just yeah, that and also too, just the actually the the, the type of questions, the intrusive questioning, uh, I guess that people were being asked to um, uh, uh, answer before they got a loan. Yeah, so I, I think the banks have been too intrusive, and asking mm. about the extent of exactly what they're spending their money on is too much. There needs to be an understanding that people can actually manage their finances. And as long as people are demonstrating that they can save money and meet their expenses, then that should be sufficient. And how they choose to spend the money should be up to them. Um, So, yeah, definitely intrusive questions goes too far. But I think National are making policy that sounds good but isn't necessarily best for the country or for consumers. Good to have you here, Claire. As always, that's uh, Associate Professor Claire Matthews from Massey University. 19 past four, big response, wheat picks and everything. Nutella, oh, Nutella, that's high, isn't it? Uh, we will come back to that tomorrow. Don't you worry about that. But Can you also this. come back to climate change tomorrow? Yes, of like, course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we, this look, is, like, this is well, bleak. I'm really pleased everyone's having a nice time looking at their wheat picks, but this, this speaks to the, the whole problem.
No, no, but you know, Kirsty um, is doing a very good series. Talk oh, to it was, her. It was a great series, David. But this is great too, and it's a wonderful, wonderful We're story. We're talking about people's health. That's also important. This yeah, is a is. metaphor for the show in totality. England's lionesses have knocked the Matildas out of the Women's World Cup, but the team still made history as the first Australian football team to play in a World Cup semi-final. Superstar captain Sam Kerr equalised with an extraordinary long-range solo goal in the 63rd minute to send the crowd of nearly 76,000 people into raptures. Now, Australia will play in the third-place playoff against Sweden on Saturday. The Matildas have already come further than any other Australian team, male or female, in a Football World Cup. So, what next for football in Australia, but also Aotearoa in New Zealand? With us is Dr. Lee McGowan, who is the co-author of a new book just out last month, Women's Football in Oceania, and a book, Never Say Die, the 100-year overnight success of Australian women's football. Dr. McGowan, welcome to the panel here in New Zealand. Thanks very much, Wallace, uh, and the other members of the panel. Uh, thanks for having me on. So much to say about this, but first, you're no doubt proud of the Matildas at this moment. Didn't win, but what a game. And what, oh, look, what, what you, an event. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the um, the country has been in rapture here in Australia. Um, my wife and, and my two daughters, who are also massive fans of the Matildas, are, uh, were upset last night, but obviously... Um, extremely proud of the team. We we've been to all of the Matildas home matches uh, in this World Cup, and we followed them in France in 2019 huh. too. So when um, where Kerr missed the penalty in the in the round of 16 playoffs, so to see her get one in the quarter final this time and then score that goal you mentioned was just incredible last night. Now with over seven million Australians hooked into World Cup viewing. Many who have never really been interested in sport, indeed this sport, my question is, why? Why this event and why now? Oh, look, I think um, we've been ready for this without maybe realising it. Um, The Women's World Cup is the world's biggest event for women's sport. This has been the biggest Women's World Cup to date as well in terms of ticket sales and audiences. In fact, has outstripped uh, the the French World Cup um, in television audiences and the 2015 uh, Women's World Cup in Canada and ticket sales. Um, I think it's been so well organised by by the the team that Football Australia and New Zealand Football put together. Um, uh, Joel Fernandez uh, in Australia and uh, Johanna Wood in in New Zealand. Um, I think that um, women's sport have been moving in has been moving into the mainstream for the last five to ten years. Um, Better, much better conditions for players and coaches. At, well, at least some conditions in some places. Um, more people are involved. More people are aware. And so, as I said, I think without realising it, we were kind of ready for it. And then, if you add to that, the the Euros were massive in England last year. You know, the the, the country was uh, consumed by um, England's victory there. Um, we're seeing players like uh, Sam Kerr become household names. In fact, I think Kerr is. Um, certainly Australian football's um, first genuine global football star um, in the biggest sport in the world as well. We've never we've never seen that before. Sure, Australian men have been successful in um, football in the EPL, for example, but mm. the game, the women's games, are more global games. 
stay there, Lee. We've got a panel with us, and we'll uh, get them to come in, Heather. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's been really interesting to just see how um, how New- Australia and New Zealand hosting um, has appealed to people, and the stadiums have been full, which has been great. But the really big thing for me is that inspiring girls to keep playing sport for much longer than they do currently uh, is an amazing thing. And I think when they see role models like uh, the the Matildas and the football ferns, uh, that goes a long way. Lee? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I was nodding there, sorry about that, I forgot I was on radio. (laughs) Um, uh, Look, yeah, I think it's been incredible, you know, I think the other thing as well is that um, the organisers of the the Women's World Cup knew this, um, where clubs and fans are only just starting to realise it, that the audience for women's sport and women's football and women's sport in general um, are is really different from the mainstream audience for men's sport. Well, not really different. You know, obviously you've got fans of both, but um, that there's that love for the sport for those who've been marginalised from men's sport. They feel safer at women's sport, and then the atmosphere's so different. People are really happy to take the wee people and the kids, and so it's just magic going to mm. games. You know, and I think that's been one of the big draw cars. Like when you see the cameras spanning. Eden Park or or the stadium in Sydney, you know, they're just rammed with people of all ages, you know, which is something you don't tend to see uh, in the men's version of the sport. Um, David? So I, you know, thinking about the Women's Rugby World Cup last year as well, and then every time I watch the Netball World Cup, one of the things I'm always struck by is that the post-match interviews for women's sport are infinitely better than the post-match <laughs> interviews for men's sport. And, That's true. That's and, true. I, and I just wonder if we've conditioned or media trained, you know, guilty myself, of of the, the male sportsmen, or if they're just boring people, right? But women's sport feels much more electric. Uh, we can connect on a far better bigger emotional level uh and it's it's amazing you know like i look at the the success of of things like the the football world cup and the rugby world cup and and things like barbie and it's like oh my god it's almost like there's a whole market out there of things that of of things created for and by women that we should actually be tapping into and it's bananas (laughs) that we've got 2023 and we're only just waking up and realizing that i also think that there's something to be said for the way in which new zealand and australia which are like small beans compared to the big global markets the way in which they host these sporting Mm. events there's a lot mm. more intimacy so like the 2011 Rugby World Cup the Men's Rugby World Cup and last year the, the Women's Rugby World Cup you know when we host it in these smaller places the atmosphere feels so much more yeah. electric just by a smaller number oh, of people look I think um, oh, I, look, I, I, I feel terrible for undermining your argument on national radio but um, the atmosphere for um, the tournament in England last year was electric as well and that was just from the TV I think that one of the things that you're looking at when you watch these presenters, to go back to your example at the top, is because um, women's football, women were banned from playing football between the ni- 1921 and 1971 uh, in most countries, or actively discouraged from playing sport until the, the women's movement in, uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. So you're looking at uh, half the population who have been advocating to play sport and being um, ignored or marginalised by the uh, mainstream authorities. And so when you see people who are talking about the sport on TV, like women talking about the sport on TV, they're really passionate because 
they've come into the sport and have to advocate for the sport at the same time, whereas men uh, in a similar position have have never had to um, fight for that place. They've had the privilege of being granted to them without it being questioned. And so what Mm. we get is these um, rote male former professional footballers effectively doing their additions to try and pick up a gig to do more commentary, whereas the women are like, they're not here and interested mm. in the, the bigger gig, you know. God, Listen, that's I, such I, a good I, point, Lee. That is so insightful and something mm. I'd never considered. Thank you. Hey Lee, can I well, get you look, back? Can I get you back for a part two? This is so. This is so good. Um, yeah, sure. But um, we, I want to come back to more questions about your book uh, about uh, women's football in Oceania. But for now, uh, we will um, have to leave it there. That is uh, Dr. Lee McGowan, uh, who has just written uh, a book, co-authored rather, a book on women's football in Oceania. And on that, here's this is extraordinary. I, 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 I wanted time to say this. This is a bit of history for you. So on Boxing Day of 1920, 53,000 people squeezed into the historic Goodison Park in Liverpool to see the Queensland Ladies Soccer Association take on the St Helens Ladies. This is 1920. 10,000 more spectators waited outside to get in. But it wasn't appreciated by the men. So what happened? December of the next year, the Football Association banned women from playing on association pitches altogether, and that was echoed across the world. Cool. So that Good is stuff. That I think is something. That the um, the semi final last night is the most watched television mm. event in Australian history. Right. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't yeah. it? That's so, great. So rad. Yeah. We are going to get uh, Dr. McGowan and others on, back on to talk about this. because Thanks it's cool to also thing. have women to, on to talk about women's sport, Wallace, might oh, be a yes. thing to consider. No, we've done that several times cool. uh, this week. Book. I think we should actually just abandon those interviews after the games, particularly for men's sport. They add nothing. People, people, come, people come to watch the game, not to hear someone talk afterwards. Yeah. Hey, mm. now, by the way, uh, to the portion sizes, though, because many, many uh, got in touch with you about this, um, uh, because a listener emailed and asked, does anybody else feel like I do that portion sizes these days are just too big? And with us on the line is Martin. Kia ora, Martin. Hello, everybody. What do you think? Do you agree with me? I think at a time of rising prices and inflation and all the complaints about that, how can anybody complain about the other side of the equation going the right way? You know, I mean, do these people think somehow the cafe is going to reduce the price because they've reduced the portion size? No. So I I rejoice in the large portions. I think they're terrific. But are they necessary? Because, you know, you go and get your local brioche there, Martin, and they are just so <laughs> jolly big. Aren't they, David Cormack? You, you I hate like, brioche. You, I you, hate, can, <laughs> you can relate to this. I mean, um, again, the fat phobia is coming through. What's no, the, no, what's no, the consensus not, it's, it's, these it's, days it's, on doggy bags? Like, are they, are they still... Like, no, I, they're routine now. Yeah, like Martin. If, if I yeah. get too big a serving, I'm taking it Take home. Take it home. Yeah. Martin, this yeah. was this was a piece of, this was a piece of um, sage advice given to me by the great... Tui Flower, and many of you listeners will know Tui Flower, like, you know, Yellison Holes. She said, you know what's wrong with today? Portion sizes. Back in the 70s, you didn't have these big, over-the-top portion sizes. You just had a morsel, Martin. I, I think she's thinking of these American industrial strips where you get all you can eat for $5 kind of thing. I, but this is just an economic argument. I'm not I'm not arguing about health or sports or anything mm. like that or sugar. I'm just saying 
how can you complain about being given more for your money? Seems really logical. He's got you. <laughs> I'm Absolutely thinking, I'm thinking I've got something for I you, Martin. Wish, not I just do now. wish more places would offer half-size portions for those people who don't want as much. They won't give you, they won't serve kids' menus exactly for adults. Exactly, Heather. That's they what won't. I was thinking they about. Yeah. I don't know what places you guys are going to, but I've never had any issue with ordering a kid's place. You're all too bougie going to fancy places. <laughs> 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 yeah. Hey, Martin, lovely to have you on the program. Kia ora. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you are on the panel uh, on our International, David Cormack and Heather Roy with me this afternoon. It is time for headlines.